following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. Do me a favor and, uh, and grab your Bibles. Uh, we are in continuing in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, we are picking up in chapter 8, verse 26. Uh, Fred did a marvelous job last week of uh, walking us through, as John and, and Matt did previously, walking us through this narrative and helping us to stay in the context as, uh, as Luke, through the Holy Spirit, wrote an orderly account to one most excellent Theophilus, having no idea that 2,000 years later we'd be here on a Sunday morning preaching this very letter that was written to help convince and, and solidify uh, this uh, this 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 Gentile's faith. And one of the things that we find in the in this particular gospel, so we're in Luke chapter 8, 26 to 39 today, um, but one of the things we find p- particular to this gospel is Luke is really making the case that Jesus has come for the Gentile too, and that the Gentiles are precious to him. And the Gentiles, um, we see the centurion exercising his faith, uh, like a faith that marveled Jesus, um, believing that Jesus could just simply say a word because he had he has that authority, which he does, and that power in order to heal by just a word. And so, um, so here, Luke's part of Luke's heart and desire as a Gentile himself, uh, and as a physician, he brings all of that uh, to the to the table as the Holy Spirit uses him to author this gospel. And then he also is the author of the the book of Acts, the Acts of the Holy Spirit, or the Acts of the Apostles. So, um, very quickly, let's uh, let's pray real quick. Father, I pray that you would. Uh, uh, open our eyes and hearts to your word, that you would seed our lives with truth. We know that truth has the power to set us free, and we look for liberation today, and we know that you can do it. And so we pray that the power of your word would would look into the thoughts and intentions of our hearts and would transform our ways to your ways, and that you would find hearts of submission, uh, hearts that are hungry uh, for the truth that only your word provides, and that it would truly do the transformative work that we're so desperate for. And so, Lord, we, we, we ask that you would plant yourself in us in this way through your truth, knowing that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so um, I'm going to read from uh, the ESV. Uh, it'll be on the screen, but I hope that you have a, a Bible in your lap and you're ready to be a student of God's word. Also, um, God's spirit wants to speak to you. Um, Trust me this morning, you don't want to hear what I have to say. You want to hear what he has to say. Um, and I make it an effort to, to, you know, throughout the week in preparation to hear what he has to say so I can just tell you what he has to say, but to really focus on his word because that's what we need to hear. Um, but I, I want to say this too, though. Um, as you feed upon God's word this morning and, uh, and seek for practical, intimate, personal truth, um, be ready, be ready like Luke was. And, and, and thankful for all of the, the instruments that God used over 1500 years to write this, this glorious truth. Um, be ready to write down what God's going to teach you this morning because it's a living and active word. It's, it's ready to speak to you uniquely, specifically into the circumstances of your life. And so, um, trust me, God is good and he's powerful and he's able and he wants to, 
to speak this word to your life. All right, so we're in Luke chapter 8, verse 26. I'll read through 39, and then we'll dive in together. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time, he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in house in a house, but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had not, for he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time, It had seized him, speaking of the man. He was kept under guard and was bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demons into the desert. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? He said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now, a herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it to the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at his at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them. And they were seized with, for they were seized with great fear. So he, Jesus, got into the boat and returned to Galilee. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. So let's just for a moment take in the, the previous verse where we left off last week. So Jesus in a moment a moment of fear and concern for life. In a moment, Jesus says, peace be still. The winds and the waves cease. And now the disciples are more afraid of the man that's in the boat than the storm that was out of the boat. That's what it says. They were were fearful. And this was their comment. They said, what matter of man is this? That he commands the winds and the waves and they obey him. That's a good question. Isn't that a good question? Now this is a part of the, this is still in that journey. When Jesus began this, this, this journey with the disciples that you, as you remember from last week, he says something to him. He says, let us get into the boat for we are going to the other side. This is the other side. That's what we're talking about this morning. This is the other side. This is the opposite of Galilee. This is the Decapolis. This is a Gentile territory. But the question that the disciples ask on the precipice of, of landing in the garrisons in the, in the region of the garrisons is is an interesting one it says 
what matter of man is this? That he has full control over creation. He tells it what to do and it does it immediately. I believe that's a question that we all need to ponder in our heart significantly. Like, have you asked yourself recently, who is this Jesus? Have you read in the scriptures and come upon moments like these where where demons submit to his power, acknowledge his his deity, and are are begging him not to to do this or that because they know that he has authority to do so? This is our Jesus. (laughs) He's the one that authors and then calms and speaks peace over winds and waves. He, he has, and what's, what's sad is that he has this kind of power and authority in the spiritual realm over demons and the devil. I mean, the enemy is asked to sift you as wheat, Peter. Asked. Permission. Right? And yet, we, those made in his image, we can be the ones that say no. We can be the ones to quench the spirit. We can be the ones to reject his love and ultimately his, his offer of salvation. You know, one of the saddest moments in this whole event for me is that they don't, they don't know who showed up on their shore because the last thing they should have done is sent him away. And the interesting thing is, is he gets in the boat and leaves. We'll talk about how he does that and, 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 uh, in a moment, but like, and the importance of that, that segment. But guys, who is this Jesus? Have, have we sold him short? Have, have we really given him full credit for who he is and what he's able to do in our lives and through our lives? Do you know that he, he tells the disciples, don't worry about when I'm coming back. This is right before his ascension. He says, but just know this, that you've been clothed with what? Power. To be what? Witnesses. Do you know the most, the most powerful testimony of God's transformative work is the work that he's doing in your life? That's the greatest miracle. And that's what we need to be sharing and talking about. That's what we need to, to demonstrate is this, the, the transform. I mean, anytime that God, you know, anytime anybody sees anything good in us, let's point to the one that is the ultimate source of that goodness. He's our hope. So they just asked this question at some point in the journey. And, and the next thing they know, they're, they're on the shore uh, of this, uh, of the garrisons. Now, um, Jews didn't have a lot of fond, uh, or desire to end up in in, Galilee, in in Gentile territory, right? This this usually wasn't a part of their itinerary, right? They they avoided Samaritans, they avoided the the Gentiles or dogs, um, but Jesus didn't do that. You know, I also think it's interesting, and these are just kind of backdrop comments. But I mean, when Jesus wanted, you know, who who started the work toward for the Samaritan people? To, to reach the Samaritans. Well, Jesus did. And where, and where did he start that? He started that with a, a woman that was completely an outcast of, the, of her own culture. 
one that would come at noon rather than in the morning with the other women. And, and he, 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 he seeks her out in order to plant the seed of the gospel in the, the Samaritan's village. Now, unlike the Gerasenes, the Gentiles here, the Samaritans begged Jesus to stay. And the scripture tells us that he stayed two more days, simply sharing the gospel, sharing the good news, demonstrating his love, his truth to them. So verse 26 opens and it says this, then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. So this is the other side that Jesus promised the boys that they would get to. You know, one of the things that I loved, I loved so many points from last week's sermon, um, you know, that he's in the boat with us. Like, I mean, let's never forget that. You know, that he's with us. Like, that's the greatest gift he's given us. But, um, but he told them before they started into this storm, he said, we're going to the other side. Man, let's remember that Jesus has already told us that he's going to finish what he started, as Marty said, right? Like, he's going to finish what he started. Like, we're, we're going to the other side. And doesn't that give you a whole different perspective when you face the storm, when you know that you're going to the other side, that it doesn't end here? We don't have to hold on to our life. We don't have to try to save our life because it's already been saved. Doesn't that make a difference? And so here they are on the other side, just as Jesus had promised. This is the southeastern part of, of the Sea of Galilee or the Lake of Tiberias. However, you know, historically, this, this lake has had and sea has had many names. This is a Gentile territory. We know that um, by, by history, but we also know that because Jews wouldn't have 2,000 pigs hanging around. Okay, so uh, they were unclean to them, and uh, so that's a pretty good indicator. Uh, Jesus desired to go to the Gentiles with his message. Who, who's setting the itinerary here? I love that, that Jesus is intentionally pursuing them. Let's go to the other side. Like he's not avoiding, like aren't you glad that Jesus is, is, uh, pursues the sinner's heart? Because it was once mine and yours. Right? We, we have been declared saint, not because of what we've done, but because of what he did and what the Holy Spirit continues to do in our life. Verse 27 says, And when Jesus had stepped out on land, the Gospel of Mark says this, this event, what goes on right here, happens immediately. The moment he gets out of the boat, there met him a man from the city who had demons. Now, you'll see terminology like they. When they speak of themselves, they say we. Um, here, it's always plural, demons. You know, he, by the way, we, th- th- this man, his name is not Legion, right? That's what he was possessed by, was a legion of demons. I'll mention this again, but in Roman terminology or understanding, a legion was anywhere from three to 6,000 men. So th- this man is, is completely consumed by thousands of demons. And what does he do? But the moment that Jesus shows up on the shore, and let's remember in the Mark and John and Matthew account, it helps us understand this. There's actually two of them, but the other one remains in the backdrop and never gets involved in the dialogue or the conversion. And so this one runs up in a frenzy, almost like, and we get a sense that he's, he's speaking very loudly and abruptly, almost trying to create fear and angst, right? 
He comes up. We, we, we see that kind of sinister approach. He says, and there he met a man from the city who had demons. For a long time, a long time, he had worn no clothes. It's not a nudist colony. Like this, this is kind of where he's at. He is, he is without clothing. And this isn't like, you know, he's still got his tunic on. No, this is, this isn't his outer garment has come off. He is naked, right? So like no clothes and he had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. So let me give a little backdrop here on tombs. So this is a cemetery that he's living in. If we want to really boil that down, it's, he's living in a cemetery and the, the tombs were like mausoleums. Okay, wealthy folks would have um, tombs that had multiple chambers because they would they would bury their entire family and and legacy. Um, And so these would actually uh, for folks that were homeless, maybe even leprosy folks that were ostracized, they would they would live in these in these horrible places among it's clear here among the dead. Okay, and this is this is where the the demons have drawn him or put him, right, in a place of isolation, right, a place where he is he is among the dead because that's what's going on inside, and so we we replicate what's going on inside outside. That's why we have to be careful about what's going on inside, and so. Here, Jesus, and, and I think this is interesting. Jesus was instantly met with demonic oppression or, or ops, uh, ops, opposition. Right? He was immediately met as he sought to bring himself to the to the Gentiles. He's immediately met with opposition. And here's what I want to say: We will be too. We will be too. And and, and I feel like it's so important that we're not ignorant to that. Because then we, we, we somehow get discouraged in that moment. But if we expect it, it's a different, it's a different situation. Jesus was immediately met with demonic uh, opposition. Notice that he lived in isolation, as I mentioned. He had, and, and because of the clothing thing, he had no sense of shame. Right? His conscience had been seared. Right? That's an interesting thought. Because we have to be careful about are the aspects of innocence or or morality um, and how we how we demonstrate those things really says a lot about what's going on inside. But the darkness had really overcome. Um, he had an avoidance of purpose or responsibility. Avoidance of purpose or responsibility. See, demons are fallen angels who have joined Satan in his rebellion against God and are now evil spirits under Satan's control. That's the definition. This man was under the control of demons. Mark 5, 3 through 5 says this in, in further detail. He lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with chains. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and broke the shackles in pieces. No one, uh, no one had the strength to subdue him. Night after night among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself 
with stones. So Mark helps us understand that this guy was was uh, a menace to his culture, that he was, uh, it seemed, incarcerated with chains and shackles, but there was a strength because of the demonic presence that he was not able to be bound, that he would he would break these these shackles and chains. But, you know, I think one of the things that kind of leap off the page for me is, is that even if we have physical chains, we desperately need the work of Jesus in order to break our spiritual chains. And that's what was about to happen for him. And that's the good news. Uh, J.I. Packer says this, Satan has no constructive. I thought that's an interesting because he's a destructive uh, he has a destructive disposition. Satan has no constructive purpose in, uh, of his own. His tactics are simply to thwart God and to destroy men. Verse 28 continues. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, what, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. So, the demons caused the man to fall down before Jesus. Man, let's not misunderstand. This is not worship, right? It's not worship, but in an, a, a grudging submission to Jesus's authority or supremacy. Like that's what they, they're acknowledging in this moment. Demons are terrified of Jesus's presence. Terrified. We know in James chapter 2, verse 19, it says, you believe in God, you believe God is one, that God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. They are, they are terrified. And one of the things that I was, I was processing through that and just thinking through that, that God's spirit dwells in us. Like God himself has taken up residence in, in our vessel. We're the temple, right? And, uh, and don't you know that the enemy is afraid of God? Like, we don't have to fear him, right? We don't have to fear that because his power, you know, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And so, you know, I just think that's so important that we remember and understand that we would demonstrate the power of his presence. And, and this is, this, this is a resistance against evil and darkness. It's interesting. He had to, Ask permission or beg in this particular moment. And what does that tell us? I mean, I mentioned earlier that Jesus says to Peter at the latter stages of his ministry, he says, Peter, Simon, Simon, the the enemy has asked to sift you as wheat, but take heart, I have prayed for you. Right? Like, so what we have to understand is there is an authority here and the enemy knows it. Right, he, they, he's, he's, I mean, we can learn a lot about the spiritual realm through this interaction, and uh, because the enemy, the, the, the demons are terrified, and it's many against one, and they are terrified, and they know that Jesus has authority to do. They have to ask permission. He can send them where he, wherever he wills. In Luke. Four chapters later, in Luke chapter 12, verses 4 through 5. Man, as I was reading this and just meditating on it, this first popped in my head. And I had to go hunting for it. So this is, this is what Jesus, these are Jesus' words. He says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. And after that, have nothing more that they can do. 
But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him. That should be capital H. Who? Speaking about God, our father. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Now we see that there's this element with the disciples at the end of Jesus calming the storm that they are, they are, it says that they were terrified of, of the individual in the boat. But, but that didn't cause them to run from him. It caused them to run to him, to, to maintain this, this intimate walk and want to be like him. And, you know, so we're going to talk a little bit about what the difference is in these fears that the enemy has, these people had for Jesus, and the fear that, are we called to fear the Lord? Yes. Is it not the beginning of wisdom? Right? To fear him? To, but, but what is that fear? That fear is an awe. It's a reverence. It's, but at the same time that we understand this mighty, might, like he is the pinnacle of mighty. Like he is, he has all the power and authority, right? Like it says, all the power and authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus says in, in Matthew 28. But like at the same time, he is love. And he is the one that is pursuing the sinner's heart. And he is the author of life. And he, he does, he does love us. And that changes. Like now I have someone that is powerful. Okay, so I'll go back to some sci-fi movies. You know when the aliens show up, you know, and they've got all this like weapons and power and they're like, what, what is your purpose here? You know, like you want to know, do they, are, they, are they for us or against us, right? And the good news is God is for us. And all this power that's at his, that is at his, his right hand, like it, it's being wielded for our salvation, for his glory, but for our salvation. And so in, in that posture of fear, we, we come humbly. I mean, we come reverently. We come with awe, but we come because we've been invited in. Right? But there should still be a sense of awe and wonder and respect and reverence even with the intimate, you know, connotations that we've been given to help us to understand the, the, the wonder and intimacy of this relationship that he's father. Jesus says, I call you friend, brother. So sweet. So one of the verses that, well, let me, I'm going to get back to one more point. Satan and his demons are created beings under authority of God. I think sometimes we ascribe too much power too much, too much. We give them too much credit. Like, let's remember that they're fallen angels, right? They're created beings. And yes, the, you know, he's referred to as the, 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 the prince of the air, the god of this world, small g. Um, and, and for a season, that is true. And there's, there is some power in that, right? But let never forget, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. That we don't have to fear. Like, in fact, you know, the scripture beckons us to do to to fear God alone. That's exactly what Jesus is saying there in chapter 12, verse four and five. Right. Saying, don't fear him. Fear the one that has ultimate authority over life and death. 
And then we see both agendas revealed in John 10.10, right? It says, the thief, speaking of the enemy, the devil, Satan, the thief comes only, only to steal, kill, and destroy. And then Jesus declares the intention of his Father and of the Holy Spirit, I, I, I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Like that's, that's, that's the deal right there if you think about it. Once you know the agenda, like what's, what's Jesus' agenda? He says, why? he declares why he's come. I have come that you may have life and life, life to the full. That's why I've come. And so now that power is something that we respect and admire. That power is something that he has shared with us for that same objective that others might come to know life and its abundance. And so it, it's interesting. I came across, the, across this commentary on demons, and I thought it was helpful. Uh, the demon was using, it, 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 I don't know if anybody asked this question when I read the last passage, you know, like he uses you know, Jesus, son of the most high God, what do you want? You know, why is it, does it seem that anytime a demon shows up, he, he announces Jesus' deity, and he doesn't do that, uh, you know, fictitiously, it's, it's factual, like that, that's who he is. And, and, and often he'll tell him to, to be quiet, and, and he does. Like, um, but why does he do that? And, and so my, my research came up to this. Uh, the demon was using Jesus' true name, hoping to gain control over him. In ancient times, people believed that to know a person's precise name could, ha- to ha- could help one gain control over that person. The word Most High God appears in the Old Testament, I found seven times, um, appears in the Old Testament and often was used were used by Gentiles when speaking of the supremacy of Israel's God over any idol. So there's, the, I think, the context of, of, of uh, what's happening here. I thought, I thought a few things were interesting as well. It's interesting, and, and simply my observation, is that the demons recognize Jesus. They understand who he is. They know his power. And they also seem to know their ultimate fate. Do you see that in what's being stated there? Um, it, it drew me into some, some time in Revelation, and I'm going to share this verse from Revelation 20.10. This is what it says. The devil who had deceived them, and then the them there from verse 7 is the nations. So this is at, this is at the final hour before Jesus literally says a word, and they're consumed um, by fire. Um, the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the to the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and false prophet had already been thrown and they will be tortured day and night forever and ever. Like this is the lake of fire that we're told is by Jesus was prepared for the devil and his angels. It was never prepared for humanity, but many are following him right into it as this verse depicts. And Jesus has come to set the captives free. Captive to who? Verse 29. For he had commanded, as we continue in the, in the narrative, for he had commanded. Now, I, I think it's interesting in Mark. I, I tried to parallel Mark because Mark uh, gives a lot more details on some of this. By the way, Mark was the uh, kind of the scribe of Peter, John Mark. Um, and so we have another eyewitness account here. And in that, um, it helps us to understand that as Jesus was, was, was casting him out, the, the demon interrupts him. 
Like that's what's happening here. He says, for we had commanded, for he, Jesus, had commanded the unclean spirits to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound by chains and shackles. But he would break those bonds and be driven, be driven by the demons into the desert. Kind of reminds us of Luke 4 and Matthew 4 where Jesus was led differently by the Holy Spirit uh, in order to be an example to us on how to fight temptation. But he was, li- he was led to arid places, to dry and desolate places, to places of isolation. And I think we need to be careful about that. I think that's a point of uh, uh, anytime you find yourself isolating, I think that you're in a dangerous posture and place. Does that make sense? Now, that's very different than uh, solitude, right? It's, it's who you're spending time with, <laughs> right? So like solitude is a good thing. Like if we get away and spend time with the Lord, that's, 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 that, that's celebrated. But when we get into modes, you know what I'm talking about? When, you know, when we get in modes of isolation, we, we are in a dangerous posture and in a dangerous place because we're susceptible to self-talk, which usually flows from our desires and nature, and we're susceptible to the, to the enemy's lies and deceptions. And so it's so important that we live in community, that we live in healthy community, in gospel-centered community, communities that share Christ-centered conversations, that, that allow their thought, because their minds are set on things above, not on earthly things, to constantly have dialogue and filter everything that we face in life through the, the Word of God. And that way, you know, we're, we're, we have accountability. Two is better than one, amen? Right? We need to live in rich thorough community, right? And demonstrate the gospel by loving one another in that community. We see Satan's agenda here realized, isolation, right? What do you do? What what does the wolf do in order to, and it's not just wolf lions. We see if you watch any of that animal stuff, you know what they try to do. They try to separate one from the pack, right? They try to isolate, right? Um, Steal, kill, destroy. This this is the agenda and we have to be careful. It's not good for man to be alone, Right? That's even before the fall. The devil, de- 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 and don't miss this, the devil desires, or excuse me, deceives in order to separate, possess, and destroy. This is, this is his hope. This is his agenda. So this comes back from early ministry days, but I remember this, this old illustration. It's actually an old fable, and I'm going to share it with you. Uh, anybody ever heard the fable about the scorpion and the frog? Okay, so this really illustrates this moment for us. So I'll share this with you. The scorpion asked the frog to carry him on his back across the creek. The frog said, no way, fearing that the scorpion would sting him. The scorpion swore he would not. I lie, lie. And so the frog cautiously allowed the scorpion to hop on and started across the stream. Sure enough, When they were halfway across, the scorpion stung the frog. Why did you do that? yelled the frog. Now I will die and you will drown too. I know, replied the scorpion. It's just my nature to sting. And that's that's just the hatred. Like the antonym of God is the enemy, right? Where he's love, he's hate. Where he's joy, it's all, you know, peace, chaos. It's all, it's, it's who he is. 
And so it's just in his nature to, to poison us as the serpent. Verse 30, Jesus then asked them, or him, excuse me, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. Or in the Mark count says, for, or Matthew, we are many, for we are many. So the sad thing, when I first read this passage, this is what leaped off the page for me. He had lost his identity. Like the, the, the demons and all of the, the, the demonic identity had become his. And, you know, it's, it's more prevalent in, in our world than you think. A lot of times we label people based on their pasts or their failures. And that becomes who they are to us rather than, I don't think Jesus saw it that way. I think Jesus came to see this man to salvation, right? He, he saw the beauty in him. He didn't see the darkness. He saw the potential for light. And, uh, and, but, but he had kind of taken on the identity of these demons. And we often see that's how it, they manifest themselves. And that's sad. He had lost his identity. A legion, as I mentioned earlier, is, is, is in a, in a Gentile Roman context is three to 6,000 soldiers. So this, when he says many, he wasn't kidding. Jesus was casting out a crowd. So the disciples had to be, as you can imagine, overwhelmed by this moment. Can you imagine taking this in? You've just seen Jesus calm the, the winds and the waves. You show up at the shore. You're still kind of processing all of that. And all of a sudden, some guy comes flying up, screaming at the top of his lungs, declaring Jesus to be who he is, and, and screaming and, and naked. I mean, completely naked. I mean, this is, this is a kind of a, this is a crazy moment, right? Can you imagine being a disciple and trying to take this whole thing in? Well, in verse 31, it says, and they, they being the multitude of demons, they begged him not to command them to, de- to depart into the abyss. Well, I love that the demons knew Jesus was about to set this captive free. Don't you love that? I don't know if you picked up on that, but they're, they're already acknowledging the fact that we're getting out. We, we, we're going to have to leave, right? That Jesus is about to set this captive free. I love that. They just didn't know where they were headed, but were certain of where they did not want to end up, right? In fact, in Matthew, it says, before the appointed time. So they have some gauge on the fact that their, their days are numbered. They know that. The demons also knew they were powerless before Jesus and would have to do whatever he asked. Like, let's, let's remember that when we're facing temptation. They knew their ultimate destination. So this beckons a question. Why why don't Jesus just destroy the demons? Why doesn't he just destroy the demons? So pondered that for a moment and looked at Matthew's account. And in verse 28, I mean, verse 29, chapter 8, it says, Behold, they cried out, have you, um, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come to torment us before the time, as I just mentioned? Okay, so why doesn't Jesus stop all the evil in the world? Have you ever heard that question? And, and so I sat there and I pondered that. Obviously, there's a time that's coming. He has a time that's coming for that to, to be the case. I mean, we, we can read about it. It's, it's clear. It's distinctive. It's final, right? But it's eternal. Like it's an eternal fire. And, uh, 
And as I, as I prayed and thought about that, I, 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 Matthew 13 came to mind. And, and I just want to just share this for just a moment. Remember when uh, Jesus is asked and about, uh, in a parable, he talks about like, well, let's go ahead and just pull up all the weeds, right? And what he says is, if you, if you pull up the weeds, you're going to pull up the wheat with it. You have to wait until the time, and then the weeds will be pulled up and thrown into the fire, and the wheat will be gathered and put in the barn, illustration of heaven, like God's house, God's boat. And so there's, there's a time for their destruction, and they know it. We need to trust God that he's got this all figured out. And part of the reason I believe in that illustration of the weeds and the wheat is that is, is the whole point that God is patient that none might perish. Because who might be a wheat today can be transformed. I mean, a weed today can be transformed into wheat. And only God knows. And I love that Jesus goes after the, 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 the least, the last, and the lost. I mean, he, he goes after this. This guy's got thousands of demons in him. You know, the, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, I mean, she was ostracized. Like Jesus looks for those individuals because he can make the greatest impact in their life and they become this glowing witness for his glory and fame. Do you see that? And guys, I think it's, a, I think it's an example to us. I think oftentimes we don't, we don't run to people that are, that are really, 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 really broken, really lost. And we just, and, and hopefully we never conclude, well, they're, they're beyond his grasp or his grace. Man, look, like, I mean, I think Jesus models for us. I mean, he's Jesus, so maybe that's why, but I think he models for us that we should, we should race after those that, that the world has discarded. That the world has concluded is that they're, they're not worthy of love. I think that's where we shine the brightest. Uh, Jesus models that, I think, for us. In verses 22 and uh, 32 and 33, it says, Now a large, large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let, speaking of the demons, they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Don't you love that? Um, then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs and the herd, which was Mark tells us was about 2000. And it says they all rushed down the cliff, right? So it says they rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. Can you imagine the sight? Can you imagine these, these pigs just feeding, you know? Jesus has a conversation, tells these demons to leave this, this poor uh, soul. And, and immediately these about 2,000 pigs just race to their death. Now, I think there's some things that we can observe here. First of all, the God of this world can only do what God permits. That's very comforting, right? This man was much more valuable to Jesus than 2,000 pigs. Clearly, right? And a point I'm going to jump to on this is our world seems to value animals more than people. Right? Oh, the poor whale's dying. I love whales. I love them. I have videos on my phone from Alaska. I mean, I love whales. But like, there are, there, there's abortion clinics all over our city. And babies are dying all the time. 
and, and, and we're trying to shut SeaWorld down. Look, we're called as the church to be the steward of creation. We should be ones leading the way on, on fighting to, 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 to save the animals, to, to care for the animals. We're called to have dominion like God has dominion, right? But there's a precedence here. We are more precious than these. Isn't that what Jesus said in Matthew 6? A sparrow falls to the ground. Aren't you more precious than these? And, and man, our culture is right here. It's, I believe this Gentile culture was so mixed up that they're going, man, you're messing with our, our economy here, man. Uh, you, you, you know, this guy, to them, who was this guy? See, they put a, they put a higher price tag on those pigs than on him. Do you see it? And guys, we gotta be careful we don't do the same thing. Just because this person at this point in their life is not offering much to society, in fact, they're probably harming society more than they're helping, doesn't mean that they're not worth something to God. And let's not put higher price tags on things that God would say isn't isn't as, as important to him. And let me tell you what the treasure of God is. The reason he sent his son to die was for the souls of mankind. He loves you and he loves them. And Jesus loved the Gentiles enough to send this missionary back with a message, right? The other thing we see in this is we see the intention of the enemy in the pig's demise. See, animals don't have will like we do. The moment that the, the, the demons enter these pigs... The, the agenda of the enemy was realized, suicide, destruct, steal, kill, destroy. Like we see it on display. And then, by the way, just in case you're wondering, they're off to another place to reside in order to demonstrate their hatred and their agenda. Verse 34 and 35. And when the herdsmen saw what had happened, Arguably not the owners of it, but the herdsmen. Now they're in trouble, they think. They fled and told it to the city and in the country to, hey, we didn't do this. Like, we're not responsible here. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus. I love that. Did I underline it? I underlined it here. Like, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at, at, at the feet of Jesus, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Guys, please don't miss this. When Jesus changes our life, transforms us into new creations, do you see what the first thing he was doing was? Sitting at his feet. Jesus said one thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen that one thing, and it will not be taken from her. The the thing he was doing was sitting at Christ's feet. Because this this was, I mean, there was time for the herdsmen to go to the city. There was time for people to come out, right? There's there's this timeline. And he is sitting there in his right mind. And guys, you know that's what salvation does for you and me. 1 Corinthians 2 tells us we have the mind of Christ, right? That through the Holy Spirit, we've been given the right mind in the midst of a depraved world. We can see things with clarity. And that's going to cause righteous anger at some times, right? That's going to cause us to to hate what God hates. But I hope it also causes us to love 
who God loves. Does that make sense? Like you cannot like what someone does, but that doesn't mean that you stop loving them. It doesn't mean you condone by, by loving them. That's not what that is. Most of the time they know <laughs> that, that what they're doing is wrong. But we don't stop loving because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us to demonstrate the very love of God. Do you see that? While we were yet sinners. Man, let's not write people off because you were once them. So important that we see that. And then I love this. I love this. Don't miss this point. Write this down. The miracle of a changed life caused people to come to Jesus. Do you see that? The miracle of a changed life caused people to come to Jesus. Do you know that that's the mission of God? He wants to change your life so that people come to him. He wants to bring salvation, transformation, so that others, so that we go back to our context and we, we show them that we're not who we were because Jesus. I, I love this. You know, the, the disciples are talking to the Sanhedrin after Jesus' departure and after the Holy Spirit's arrival. And, and they, um, it, you know, they're, they're going, these, these guys are, are unschooled, ordinary men. How, how dare they, you know? But they, they took note that they had been with Jesus, right? Sitting at his feet. Like that's what changes us. So what were they afraid of? What are they afraid? It says, and they were afraid in verse 35. What were they afraid of? Somebody help me. They were afraid of Jesus, right? The same one that the disciples were afraid of in the boat after, after he calmed the storm. But the problem is they didn't know his heart. They didn't know his intentions. They didn't know why he was there to, to save them, to, to rescue them. They, all they could see was, man, you just, you just killed a bunch of pigs. Right. And and uh, and and you've got this guy now sitting at his feet. And that's weird. And 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 you need to leave. That was their conclusion. How should we fear Jesus? Because we should. But how should we do that in awe and wonder and reverence and submission, knowing his heart, knowing who he is? We should, because I think some, guys, do you think we sell Jesus short? Do you think that we underestimate his power? Do you think we underestimate his potential in our life? Do you think we, do, do you think we have a very poor resume of what, who Jesus really is? And do you think that that affects the way that we relate to him and to others? Big time. That's all Jesus wants us to know is him. Right? Paul said, look, I, I, I decided to preach nothing else but Jesus and him crucified. Right? Because that's really, that's all that matters. Here's a piece from a commentary. I liked this little portion. It says this. These people who had the author of true and eternal life standing among them with evidence of his love sitting at his feet made a terrible mistake. Verse 36 and 7 goes on to say, and those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding countries of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, and they were, for they were seized with fear. And do you, do you see what the next verse says? Part of the verse? So he got into the boat and returned to Galilee. He left. Like, do, do you know that we can, we can quench the Spirit? 
Do you know that, that we can actually reject the Savior? Man, I hope if, you, if you're here this morning and, and you've ever, like, man, embrace his presence. Embrace his love. Embrace the reality of his, of his lordship. Because it will make you everything that he designed and desired for you to be. Like his power is not meant to harm you, but to heal you. Do we understand that? Like his power has the intention to heal, not to harm. And so oftentimes we, we have this kind of fearful uh, approach to Jesus that keeps him at a distance or asks him to leave. Did they value the pigs more than the man? Are you afraid of God in an unhealthy way? Are you? Are you afraid of God in an unhealthy way? I think the text beckons that question. Jesus answers their plea. We should be asking for quite the opposite. Like the Samaritans who said, would you please stay with us for longer? And he did. They said to leave. And he did. You know, this is just a sidebar for just a second. I believe our nation has asked Jesus to leave. And it breaks my heart. But the church of Jesus Christ, if my people who are called by my name, right, we, we have to be the ones that ask to ask Jesus to come and to take up residence in us so that we might be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. But this nation is facing everything that it's facing because we have asked our, our, our king to leave. Are you afraid? And then this is, this is a good question. I, just a thought. Are you afraid of the changes God wants to make in your life? Are you? Are you afraid? Because that's potentially why they asked him to leave. Are you afraid of the changes God wants to make in your life? In your own way, are you asking Jesus to leave that area of your life? I think there's a danger there. I think sometimes we're afraid that if I, man, if I, if I go all in here, if I give myself fully here financially, whatever, man, will, will he take care of me? Will he do what he's promised to do? Will he provide? Man, let's never ask Jesus to leave any aspect of our life, but to come to take, to take lordship. Do new creations make you nervous? I don't think there's anybody in the room that that's the, the answer is yes. But, but for these people, they were nervous by the transformation that happened in this man. It obviously freaks out the world by, by this scenario. Be careful not to let your personal preferences, this is another observation, take prior, priority over Jesus and his work in his people's lives. Because that's exactly what they did here. And finally, verses 38 and 39. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with Jesus, with him. But Jesus sent him away. Now, this is not rejection. This is commission. Does that make sense? Right? Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away. He, you know, what, what did he want more than anything else but to be with him? And isn't it interesting that the moment Jesus says, no, I want you to do this, what does he do? Okay, I'm going to do that. 
And he tells him to do this, proclaim throughout the whole city. I'm sorry. He says, um, declare how much God has done for you. I love what it says here. Proclaiming, this is what he did, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. The Mark account says, or, or Matthew says, that they marveled, right? But like here, it's interesting to me that it says, go tell, this is what Jesus says to him, go tell everybody back home, right? What, what, what God has done for you. And he makes the connection and tells everybody what Jesus, he had, he had made the, 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 the massive leap and, and Jesus is God to him. Jesus is God to him. Jesus sent out his first Gentile witness here. They sent Jesus away, but they could not send away his message or the indisputable miracle evidenced by this man's healing. And isn't that us? Has, has God healed your life? Good morning. Hello. Has God healed by his stripes? Have you been healed? Is, is there evidence of that? In, in, in your context, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your marriage, in your life? Like that, th- this is what, this is what people need to see. And, and trust me, let me, let me, let me, let me, let me relieve a burden here. It's not for you to do. It's for him to do. And it's for us to abide. Like just stay close. Just sit at his feet. Just draw near. And then he will, he will do the work in and through your life. That's what he does. It is God's desire that we return home a witness. So I'm going to give you these application points. I hope you take these to heart. I hope this has been such a, 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 a revelation of pieces for me this week. And I hope these really strike a chord with you. So I, I have four points of application. And the first one is this. Have you ran to Jesus and declared him God so that you might rescue, so that he might rescue you from Satan and deliver you from darkness? Have you done that? Have you run to him for salvation? Even for salvation from things that you're facing and dealing with, the doubt and the fear that you're dealing with in this, this time in life. Because he wants to deliver us from every aspect of darkness. Number two, what unclean areas of your life do you need Jesus' deliverance and healing from? Man, would you talk to him about that? Would you just confess those things knowing that he is not surprised? He is just pleased with your confession and your repentance knowing that he's the only one that can heal you? Number three, Have you gone back to share with those who knew you before you met Jesus what he has done for you? Have you done that? Have you testified to, you know, I I think technology can be used in a positive way. I think there's people, I mean, most of the context of people I grew up with before I, BC, before I'd met Jesus, I, I have those folks on Facebook. And man, you know, use whatever means in order to shine the light on Jesus and point to him. Uh, to the glory of his fame and, and name. So, And then finally is this, that's not your name. That's the title of today's message. Let me, let me explain. This is what I, Marty asked me, so whose name are we talking about here? When I first sent this to him for today's uh, service preparation. And, um, 
And when I thought about it, I, I typed out a couple things for him, but but this was one of them. And and I think this is the, the, I think the spirit was was leading in this. The man who was possessed by many demons was not named Legion, but was defined by his possession. So often we are marked by our sin rather than our savior. The challenge for us is to live in his name and not the one that the world gives us. Does that make sense? I hope so. Let's pray. Um, worship team's going to come up and we're going to close in a, uh, a song. But um, And as I pray and as we sing, could, could, you, um, could you please, like, if lunch and a one o'clock bucks game is your next thought, I want to challenge you to a different objective, to really, really think through this text and what the Lord has brought to your attention today and really, really entertain. What does this mean for me? Lord, what are you trying to teach me and how might this word be sown in my heart? And what what changes do you want me to make in order to be obedient? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it never returns void, but always accomplishes the purpose for which you have sent. And so, Lord, let that be true of us. Let it be that what it is that you have spoken to us today uh, would, uh, would bring a greater revelation of your love and grace to us, but that that might be the ministry that flows through us. And so help us to be witnesses. Help us to go back to our context, shining for your glory, ready to be the one that says, look what Jesus did for me. We love you, Lord. Thank you for your work. Thank you for your gift. Thank you for your power made perfect in weakness. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.